0: And just thinking this through, I actually have a set of Pirellis on my car right now. I have the Soto Zero winter tires on there. But I don't think they're really in the same ballpark. They're yet. not in the
1: same league, Vince. I've got two sets of those, one for both of our cars, though. So, yeah.
2: It got down to, what, eight degrees in Vancouver, so you put the winters on?
3: He's wearing his Canada goose already. It's under 10 degrees Celsius. He's a soft man.
0: <laughs> Randy, I leave Vancouver, and I drive out into real Canada, okay, like, I need to have winter tires when I go up over the mountains.
3: Is that why you've grown a beard and a mustache to fit in in real Canada?
0: I I am a mountain man now, sir. I am a mountain man. Well, it's a lumberjack shirt. That's all we want to see.
3: Exactly. Walking around the mountain with your clubs, they just happen to be comma golf. I mean, this is totally
0: unconnected to what we're talking about here, but in BC, it's the law. If you drive out of the city, I think after October 1st, you're required to have winter tires in your car. Yep. So if you want to go to Whistler, you want to go to the Okanagan, where I go a lot, you want to go kind of anywhere, you have to put winter tires on. So I had to get them on in September in order to beat the rush to get them, get the fitted. Oh,
3: and believe it or not, your Pirelli intermediate winter tires are working well enough for the sunny, warm Vancouver climbs, as well as the more harsher Okanagan climbs. So if only Pirelli was making winter tires for Formula One.
2: I was going to say, it's a one-stop strategy. Yeah. I love it. So Constantinople. No,
0: you can't go back to Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople. why of Constantinople. Get the works. That's nobody's business but the Turks.
2: Istanbul. That is lights Out. We're back with another episode of Flippin' F1 where four fanboys fire off about F1. The circus has wowed its way to, to Istanbul again where a renewed track had some treatment and a little rubber on it. We watched a wicked start, an unexpected Red Bull Merc dogfight, and a lot of rain for yet another weekend. In the end, we saw another flip of the driver standing, and what might be the last race win for our man Albot? Overall, a pretty pedestrian race. Not the worst, but certainly not the best. Are we just spoiled with what's been happening this season? Well, the panel's here to talk about it. Our post-race ball frolics, Feature, goofball games, gamut commentary, and accessible analysis, not to mention my usual avalanche of but we'll break down the past week's race, talk about the circuit and the surrounding area, and dig a little deeper into the world's most legendary motorsport. Handling with me, as always, is our fiery fanboys. Like usual, I'm the host that keeps it close, Randy, and joining me, starting from west to east, you got the man you love to stand, Andrew Spencer. So, did you recover from Thanksgiving dinner, Ben? Just barely, Randy. I think I'm finally over my turkey hangover. Good to see you. Yeah, that's at least one turkey that was enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And of course, doing the details is our barrister of ballots, our solicitor feed, speed, the counselor of curves, our tech junkie, and rules interpreter, Extraordinary Gareth. How's all the all new family HQ? bud? It's
3: great. Except for when one person gets sick, everybody gets sick.
2: Uh oh. That's <laughs> not that promising.
3: <laughs> this is a new one. <laughs> anyway, um, great to be here though. probably me my performance is <laughs> off tonight.
2: And we can't do what we do. Well, we could, but still it's it's you know who. Our fun loving wine swilling facts you enjoy a listening lecturer who's now regretting buying shares in Ramico, our absent minded professor Phil Deer. How you doing, man?
1: Doing good. I'm so sorry about the hula skirt, guys. I just can't seem to put it down. But happy to be here.
3: You have to burn that thing, man. We've never wanted you to take off a skirt so badly. Hey, you shouldn't have bought it. That's a nice one, guys. <laughs>
2: well, it was Canadian Thanksgiving weekend, apropos for a racing in Turkey. Whatever. Somebody had to do it, and now it's out of the way. So while I'm thankful for any F1 weekend, Phil, you gotta burn that skirt! Holy gee! This is getting absolutely ridiculous. So, Professor, set the stage for us. The track was renewed, and the drivers last year complained it was driving on ice. So, tell us more about Istanbul Park, what we saw in this return of F1, and any notable old races from this track.
1: Well, a slippery when wet track. That's what they should just call Turkey, because every time it rains, the cars just go sliding off. Uh, And we seem to have evidence of that again. But what else can you say? I mean, somebody's got to talk about the never-ending Corner 8, that just goes on and on and on, or is it three corners in one? But yeah, no, the track, it's a relatively new track when it comes to Formula One. It's only had nine races in the last 16 years. It is another Herman Tilke track. So just to be clear, that means Star Turkey, and then Circuit of the Americas. We're racing three Herman Circle tracks in three consecutive races this year.
2: All right. Sorry, I got to stop you there, Phil, because you got to tell our, our friends who just come in from Netflix, what does that mean exactly?
1: Well, Hermann Sochi is an engineer, a German engineer, and he's designed and touched a lot of tracks, actually. He's actually had influence on a lot of tracks as they sort of re-engineered the tracks over the years. But the uh, Turkey is one that he actually helped to sort of design from scratch. The same with Koda in in Austin. And then Sochi, he just sort of designed the layout and helped to sort of facilitate it around the the Olympic park that they were using. All
2: right. Any notable races on Turkey over the, the course of the history of the race?
1: You mean, apart from last year's racing on ice, not really. I mean, if you look back at the history of the, the winners and everything like that, it's the real track that no one team has actually purely dominated. You know, the nine races have been won by three different teams over that time period. And although, here's a fact, two different engine manufacturers only. It is a Mercedes track, according to the stat. That's all I've got for you, though, guys. That's
2: fair. Spence, give us the travel scoop on turkey. So what should we eat? C five, look out to where, if
0: we check out the fridge. Yeah, well, I mean, Turkey is really where east meets west. Like, there is an actual bridge in the city of Istanbul where you travel across it to get from the European continent to the Asian continent. So, as a result, it's a great amalgam of a lot of different types of influences, cultures, religions, lots of great food there. If you're going to go, you can travel on Turkish Airlines, which, by all accounts, is a, a really nice way to fly. And if you're going to go check out the race, you absolutely need to bring your rain jacket. I mean, it seems like it rains there all the time, Phil's skirt notwithstanding. Just been a couple <laughs> of really wet, wet races there in the last little
2: while. Yeah, there's some great things to see. I mean, besides the obvious, the Blue Moss and the old um, Coliseum grounds and things like that. Check out that Spice Market. Really, you know, it, it doesn't do it justice to see pictures. Like, you got to be there. And I think the most interesting thing. Is underneath the city, there is just an entire set of aqueducts that are absolutely just stunning. The stonework and the, the pillarwork is astounding. It has some of the most amazing, amazing stonework I've ever actually seen. Uh, and then on the Asian side, you know, if you get away from the Hammams, the Turkish baths, if you will, and actually get onto the Asian side to experience them there. It's a whole different thing. I was once thrown around by a big giant Turkish man in one of these things who literally treated me like I was on a Mar- like ice cream on a marble slab. He gotta <laughs> have to stop resisting at some point. It was pretty funny. I know Phil's just really enjoying that that particular yeah. visual right there. But this guy had to be six seven if he was inch. Like yes. holy jeez, he was massive built like a brick house. And after the whole thing was said and done he you know, I had to sit there for a while so we made, he made me watch uh, Turkish Fox T V with him, so that was real fun. Yeah, good time, good time. Zach, give us the headlines. How is this year's Turkish GP compared to last?
3: We'll say after Randy's ringing endorsement of Turkish bathhouses, I do have to correct you on a technical <laughs> point, Randy. This early in the podcast, it's not an aqueduct; it's actually a cistern under Istanbul. That was the name I could not remember. The cistern, <clears throat> yes. So, with that correction and a million points to start me off, how was this year different from last year? Well, weather it rained just like last year, but it was different. We had a race-long rain that never left, kind of a, it's called an annoying East Coast mist after some downpour. Last year, it rained, but then it got sunny. Another way, uh, the story was kind of track surface and tires. That was one of the big stories of the race. Just like last year, but it was different this year. The track surface was very different. They'd roughed it up a whole bunch. The tires weren't lasting. The stupid intermediate tires and Pirellis were graining and causing all sorts of problems. And coupling on that, just like last year, Lewis and his tire strategy, taking a gamble for the win. It was just like last year, but different. This year, it didn't work out. His little gamble didn't pay off. And he was somewhat upset about that on the radio. And finally, just like last year, there were some massive world championship implications. Different again this year. Lewis doesn't walk away with the title this year. Instead, he walks away not leading the championship by six points.
2: Yeah, that's pretty solid. makes it all sound like a better race than it seemed to me. I mean, there's a lot going on, but it's, you know.
3: Phil will tell you it may have been boring, but there's some excellent strategy, and it was very engaging. Will I? That's usually a go-to. <laughs> that is usually a go-to. I did not find it that
1: way. I think it was missing some of that excitement for me.
0: Well, you know what? The boring bit in the middle was a little longer than it has been in other races we've seen lately. But yeah. seeing that, there was some absolutely great wheel-to-wheel racing between when lewis and even Yuki for a while. Like, there was some really, really great...
3: Stuff. Carlos signs. Yeah,
0: Carlos absolutely lit the back of the field up. So There was some stuff that you could enjoy.
2: Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But for now, let's play everybody's favorite game. Eric, play the sound. Box, box, bingo! For those new to our show, Box, Box, Bingo, of course, sees us as the panel makes some poorly informed prognostications, which is perfectly fine because the points don't matter. Before every race, the panel usually makes a series of predictions, some obvious, some outrageous, all completely irrelevant to the outcome of the race. It's our weekly series of prop bets where everyone has a shot and Gareth always wins. So, this week's bingo card... Featured a stroll off the track, or Brad, paying homage to one of the Canadians celebrating Thanksgiving weekend, and let's admit it, making fun of stroll is just gravy. So, given that Professor Stack and I didn't even get our board complete this week, you get the honor. Tell us about your quality prediction.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? It doesn't seem like they matter, Randy. I win by default. But I had my predicted top five for the grid. With Verstappen, Leclerc, Perez, Bottas, and Norris. And you know what? I think some of those were a little out, but again, does not matter. I take it by default.
2: <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see we'll about see. that. Tell us about yours, Phil.
1: You know, as my predictions go, they were about as useless as ever. I had Bottas and Verstappen in the top five finishing, but I had them in the wrong order.
2: Yeah, that's fair. You also had Danny Rick, which I, I loved before, but also Gasly.
1: Yeah, I was hoping that we were seeing McLaren do some sort of resurgence and carry on the momentum they had in previous races, but this wasn't a track that really was designed for the McLaren, and I should have done my research better.
3: Yeah, that's fair. How did you do, Gareth. Decently well with the top five. Ferrari had looked really on form all through the free practices, and actually had McLaren and ass in there, uh, and they were in the top five, swapped around, although I did call Fernando Alonso qualifying fifth, so that's full points to me for that one. On our bottom five predictions, eh, you know, Mazepin was down there in the basement. He sucks. I got that. Signs was down there. I figured Lance would really stuff it up, but he didn't actually. I think he even managed to escape. He did. He, he, he gritted up eighth. So uh, sorry about that, Lance. Yeah.
2: Wow. Stuff yeah. it up.
3: Is that another turkey joke? <laughs> oh, there it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. No, my bottom five, too. I don't want to a prayer with you know, just nowhere near with it it should have been. I mean was, I of course got mad, I got mixed, but man, Tudoto you know, just flies away to screw me every time. For the beginning of the season I thought he was gonna do great, finally does okay, and of course I've got him in the bottom five.
3: Randy, you're getting screwed over by a guy who's like five foot two all the time.
2: I know. Where's the solidarity, man? <laughs> and race predictions.
0: How did you guys do? Well, I did pretty good. I, I had the top five, not in the correct order, but I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Hamilton, Perez, and Botas all in my top five. So I did uh, I did pretty good. I didn't have the faith that uh, Valbot was going to be able to hang on to his first place, though. So that was where I really missed. But, yeah, I think picking the top five is pretty good. I'll take it.
2: That's fair. What about you, Philip?
1: I actually had all the right drivers in my top five, just in the wrong order. So for the first time I gotta take points for that. Something. Even half points I'll take. But I had the shop and bought us Hamilton, Leclerc, and Perez. That was the order that I picked them in. And they were a little bit out, but I had all the right drivers. Yeah, all right.
2: That's fair. stop obviously the rest of your
0: predictions. Well, I will say most of them are not important, but just know that I made a very good effort at them. I did have science coming from the back of the grid to the points, however, and that was smack on. Man, he was oh, yeah. uh Man possessed coming from
3: the back there. I, I have comments about that later on. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, you did. You got Saints in the points. You, you thought Russell was going to get in the points again. Uh, you didn't. That didn't happen. No, don't worry Two safety cards. Well, that didn't happen. That's fine. 16 yeah, finishers. No, that didn't What's happen.
2: What's the deal with that? Like a rainy weekend with no safety cars.
3: Well, first of all, you're a loser because you played with yourself and by yourself in uh, in this instance. And secondly, I think you got a bunch of negative points. So I think uh, Phil Randy and I uh, co-win this. Absolutely not. But just to touch
1: on something there, Randy, you talked about the safety car and the fact that we didn't see one this race. It was an Aston Martin safety car that didn't make it around the track. Is it a Mercedes fix? Tim's all hat mom. Yeah, yeah, there it is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody totally had to say to. it. There's only red flags when the work drivers are doing that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, because I mean, yeah, you know, Mercedes is paying to make sure their car gets seen on TV camera. People.
2: Yeah, Michael, did you read my email?
3: <laughs> Isn't it somebody saying, "Hey, Lawrence, you want cheaper engines for the company next year?" <laughs> Something like
2: that. Yeah. All right, well, let's tally up the points. We'll give Phil, uh, you know, half a million points for getting that race prediction right, and then take away uh, two and a half million for all the ridiculous predictions. So you're minus two mil, that's good. You know, Gareth, we'll give you about five points for at least getting something on the board. And then, since uh, my virtue of you being the only one who completed the box, and it being our Thanksgiving show, you get 5.7 million points, but they're all being donated to the local food bank which means Gareth wins again by five points. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> This is a fixed as the Formula One race. I wish <laughs> you could
2: see Andrew's face right now. If
3: they should let us be the stewards in the FIA together. We'd be really good at it. We'd be just as impartial and predictable as the current set of them are. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, lovely.
3: Oh dear. All
2: right. Let's talk race on that. By way of some virtual predictions, because most of us didn't get the board done in the first place, let's just kind of have an open forum on what's on your mind this week about this race. I know you want to talk about science, Garrett. So let's go there.
3: Yeah, Carlos Science. I think he is my dark horse of the season. He is a driver who has been—I'm going to call him—consistently underrated. Everybody knows he's good, but nobody says he is what's called championship material. He is just incredibly thoughtful like in terms of his race craft there is some stuff i think we talked about a few races ago where he was talking about oh last year hamilton did this with his tires we have to watch out for that again this year and this is actually a drive to survive moment there's a interview with him and his dad carlos Sainz senior who is i think a five-time dakar champion three-time world rally champion and they're talking about race craft and racing and the philosophy of racing. And I just feel like he's somebody who his head is such in the right place together with the fact that you hear reports that he just walks into a team and he's raced, I think, for four different teams now, if memory serves, Toro Rosso, Renault, McLaren, and Ferrari. And you never hear anybody say anything bad about him. Like He just comes in, does a great job, makes everybody kind of coalesce around him. And right now, he's beaten Charles Leclerc in the driver's standings. And who would have thought that the quote unquote number two guy ends up being half a point ahead of the number one guy at Ferrari right now. Like Carlos Sainz, he is a solid, drama-free, fantastic race driver. He went from last to eighth of this race and put on kind of an overtaking clinic that maximized the ability of that Ferrari. And he's just somebody that I can always see him doing well. And in the current Ferrari team, Leclerc is mercurial. He's hot and he's cold. He's on the radio. I'm stupid. I'm the worst. Carlos Sainz is, you know, he's having fun, but he is doing a supremely solid professional job. And that was kind of both my dark horse of the season or in the last few seasons, but also just he did a great job this race. And I thought it was worth having a chat about.
1: I think he is fantastic. I will agree with you on that one. I think he's an incredibly focused driver. Um, He's got that same ability that his father had. If you watch any of the documentaries, as you were talking about, you're absolutely right. But I think if you look at the Ferrari team, they've got two drivers. Their race styles are actually very similar, although their emotions come through slightly differently. And they're doing very well. They're only half a point. You're saying science is ahead. It's half a point. Realistically, in the marginal world, that's that's negligible, right? They're two very comparable drivers, um, very skilled. I agree, Sainz has an amazing future still in Formula 1, but I wouldn't discount uh, Leclerc in your comments that you're making that.
3: I'm not discounting him at all. Yeah. I'm just saying that Stein's just he's got maybe a, a level of level-headedness and professionalism that Leclerc just sometimes maybe doesn't display. But they're both doing a fantastic job. The other thing I would point out, People who are new on a team this year versus somebody who's been on a team, Signs is the only person ahead in the championship of their uh, respective teammate. Well,
0: I think Bettle is ahead of Stroll.
3: Oh, sorry. It's Lance Stroll. Nobody cares. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And there goes the sponsorship from those companies that are controlled by the Strolls. Right.
2: Canada Life, we love you, really we do. Just not your driver.
3: Canada Life, Tommy Hilfiger. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> Silas Chew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: I think you're right. They put together a solid midfield campaign.
3: Call it upper midfield. Yeah. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think Charles on his best day is just stunningly brilliant. Right. Yes. I mean, he, he really can do something with that car, and and I think. Carlos is so consistent. I, I don't know that the point to tell the whole story. I think he's a great second driver, right? He's super consistent, he's level headed, he understands the car, he puts in a lot of work, and he constantly thinks about racecraft. I think, again, right, he's definitely talented. I don't know that he has that one X factor that's going to take a Charles or a, a George or somebody like that to the next level once we sort of see
3: F1 2.0. Consistency counts. We'll see what happens in the coming years with the changes in the regulations. I agree with you, Rennie, because I also
1: think it's important to acknowledge, as Gareth said, this is the fourth team that Carlos Sainz has raced for. He's got eight or nine years involved in Formula One already. Charles has, what, three, four, you know, half that. So there's still learning that, that Charles is doing there to master some of the, those emotions and things like that to be one of the next grades. But this is what Ferrari does. They've always had consistently paired an experienced driver and a slightly younger driver together, but I think they've got two drivers that are equally paired, they're equally matched.
2: Sorry for the dead air there. I think I had a coronary after I heard you say it. I agree with you, Randy. So I <laughs> <laughs> covered for a second. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, I was enjoying really?
1: the peace and quiet, Randy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was just listening for horsemen. Relax. <laughs>
1: And unfortunately, this has been recorded, so you can play it back anytime you want to hear me say that again.
2: (laughs) That's all good. You prompted it in bingo, man. Let's talk about Checo and Hamilton and some of the finest on-the-wire Edge of Desire races I've seen in some time. Man, what were your thoughts on that? That was wild.
0: Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, Hamilton was really making his way through the field until he came into what seemed like the widest car on the track in Checo's Red Bull and I mean he just would not give up that place. I mean I guess that's kind of the difference when you are the second guy trying to be a supporting act versus the guy in the fight for the championship maybe. But I mean it was just aggressive wheel-to-wheel driving like some of the best stuff I think we've seen all year. Really makes me excited to see what we're going to get out of
2: Checo next year in a second year at that team. I think so. In a new car and in a new situation slightly, I think that'll be great. But I mean, it was wild though. It was clean racing. They were wheel to wheel a lot of the time and they were pushing each other and, and it was super clean. Like I got to wonder, like had that been the Lewis-Max battle, I'm pretty sure one of them would have taken each other out. But both of them pushed the line and both of them uh, came away on this. I mean, Checo took the spot fill way
1: in. You know, it was clean racing. At least they didn't touch each other. Whether it was fair racing or not, that's a questionable piece that will come to in the steward. Seward come to in the steward sewer part that got failed to be picked up on as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, they respected each other enough not to hit each other, and I think that was a key thing. And Checo was doing exactly what he's paid to do, right—to be the rear gunner for Max. That's what his job is. That's what he's paid for. And yeah, I think if you'd had anybody else in that situation, I don't know. I mean, I have a high respect with Checo and his driving style and his abilities, So. Somebody else on that exact same turns, we've seen it happen before. would have just driven into Max at that point.
2: We would have driven to Lewis, you mean?
1: Yeah, sorry, Lewis. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, into look, Lewis. At <laughs> look at that! Look at
2: that! Freud was right.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you've got me thrown on my game now that I've admitted that you're right. But no, driven into Lewis on that last corner during that pass sequence.
3: There you go. Yeah, good
2: stuff. are your thoughts on that
3: one, man? I love the racing, and yeah, what everybody said. We'll get to the steward bit of it because some of that was objectionable, but it was fantastic racing from two veterans of Formula One who've both been doing this more than a decade, I think, each of them. And it was not quite to the level of the Alonso, was it the Alonso-Hamilton battle that we had earlier this year? In Portugal, was it?
0: Hungry, hungry. Was yeah, hungry?
3: I love hungry. But yeah, like here's a clinic about another clinic about fantastic, mostly clean racing where nobody knocks anybody else generally off the road and there's no contact between the cars this is why we're here we want to see great racing whether you're you know a rabid lewis fanboy like phil is or a rabid max fanboy like randy is regardless you do want to see clean racing
2: yeah no for sure That's, uh you definitely want to see clean racing
3: although i wanted to throw one more thing out there is what we did not see this race or what we saw the inverse of a lot of people took tire gambles none of them paid off they would have looked like heroes if the weather conditions swung the other way, but literally just like Russia, fell on their faces. That leaves a question, though. I'm
1: curious if any of the panelists, if we know of any of this, but has in recent years Pirelli tire gambles actually ever paid off?
3: And when I say gamble, I mean just switching to slicks or switching to inters because you've timed the weather right or you've gambled on the weather changing. That's what I mean, like you're gambling
1: ahead of the call. I don't think, unlike that that you could drive the intermittent tire when it was dry, you could drive it when it was pure, like hurricane weather. Pirelli's are a little bit more finicky. Mm. right?
2: Well, Spence, given you're the only one of us that's actually ever gambled on Pirelli tires, why don't you weigh in?
0: <laughs> Look, Randy, I am one for one and blow up my Pirelli ownership, so I really don't know who I'm the guy to be talking about it. I'm well, loving my
3: Michelin's now, though i just like to say to Continental Tires, who sponsored uh, Automotive podcasts, I just bought another set of Continental Tires for my Audi.
2: I, too, just bought a set of Continental Tires for my Volkswagen. So, Continental, we love you, man.
3: <laughs> so, please come sponsor us.
2: But, I mean, I'm curious, Yeah, it's Like, i Kizakon went the whole race on those those ventures, do you think he'd have actually done better had he actually stopped in the window?
3: Have I sat no. down and done the analysis? If everybody had kind of stopped, you know, clustered around the same area the same laps of stops, it would have been kind of a a neutralized race and he wouldn't have fallen back as much as he fell back because I think he fell back two or three positions in the closing stages of the race and was five seconds a lap slower than the people around him. Yeah. He probably would have made out or he would have lost less in making the swap to a new set if not maintained his position. Yeah.
2: So he could have fought off some of the overtakes that he experienced in those late
3: stages. Yeah. Same with Lewis. If he had pitted when the team told him to pit, he probably would not have been, What? where am I, man? Fifth man? No. You know, that drama would have been avoided. Because, again, Lewis was trying to gamble just like he did last year. Stay out, hope for either go in the distance, kind of sunshine effectively, and make the jump to slicks.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I said this in the group chat. I'll say it here. I mean, I, I'm i a Lewis fanboy, but I do hold him accountable. And I think the team should just throw it up and elbow and said, yeah, fine stay out, and that way, you know, he loses all the places he loses, and and the narrative is, well, sort sure, of in, you did it to yourself, you know, either we get to be the strategist, you don't. But.
3: Well, he came around in the end, win as a team, we lose as a team, but he just had to whine about it first because he's Lewis Hamilton.
2: Wow, I think, again, I finding the, the whole whiny Lewis narrative just get, getting a little tired as far as, like. We don't hear all of the other racers in there whining and obviously modern F one and the way that we do C D now means that we didn't hear that before when races were being you know, I mean I'm not saying that why, that he doesn't talk a lot and he doesn't complain a lot. I'm pretty sure that's happening almost every radio except for maybe I don't know, Carlos. But everybody else is yapping away and it's a direct or choice by those doing the broadcast that, you know, constantly tell us that it's Lewis.
1: Okay, no, but you can't say that because he's no. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Yeah, everybody probably does win. But here's the thing. All right, Lewis wins in a certain way, and he has been doing this for twelve years now, thirteen years that he's been in Formula One. All right, this is his race. This is part of his race craft. Yeah, it is not fun to watch and enjoy. Let me tell you. And as far as I'm concerned, Mercedes should have said and and should be saying. And this is a problem which I think comes down to. Uh, and we've talked about this on, on previous podcasts, they're not holding him accountable. You know, he makes a mistake. They fess up and step on the sword. It's always Mercedes that owns the problem. Mercedes owned the problem again this time. No, it's not. I'm sorry. They told Lewis to pit. I remember way back when, with Michael, even in his most arrogant days where he knew best, when Ross Braun got on the radio and said pit, he pit. That was the trust that they had between the two of them, right? And there wasn't this, I'm going to second guess the engineers that are out there that are seeing what the weather's really going to be doing in five minutes from now. And so this time, I'm sorry, he needs to admit he totally messed this one up.
2: Again, what I'm talking about is the general overall Wynnie Lewis narrative, which I just think is, is a lot of cherry picking of his radio. You know, at this particular time, I think, yeah, you're right. There, I gave it back to you. He should have hit when he was called. And again, to me, this is sad at the end of Ferrari, right? You're the strategist, or you're the driver, but you can't be both, right? So if you're gonna drive, yeah, shut up and drive, and talk and do what you need to to make the thing happen. But when your strategists look at the thing and say, yeah, do this. If they ask you for information, give them the information. If they say, come in, there's rain coming, get the hell in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this I agree with. This I guess. You know, the last thing I want to throw in this group chat is Saturday winners, but not call centers. Seems to be a theme of the year, man. What the hell, like. This has actually gotten almost as ridiculous as your booster. I just don't know what to think about it.
3: Grid penalties. That's what it is. Put the
2: engine fucking sale. Yeah. I like it.
3: Have the Haas cars even taken new engines yet? Probably not. They're like, no, that's too much money. Now they're on
2: last year's engine.
3: (laughs) No, I think they're on last year's. I was going to say (laughs) they're on last year's (laughs) engine. They, t- they pull off the engine cover at some race. just says Briggs and Stratton, and there's a pull cord.
2: What'd you draw So let's take a look at the last week's radio calls between Driver wall, some of the broadcaster's best moments, and some of our own commentary from our during-race text chat. So tell us, boys, uh, what did you hear that was fun or interesting on the radio?
1: The only fun thing I heard was the ghastly, my arms are too short to turn that wheel his t-rex comment i just thought it was priceless
2: i've never felt closer to that one driver in my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was good you had one in there gareth
3: yeah it was from one of the free practices where the ferrari engineer Cheryl Leclerc says brake balance plus one suggestion And LeClaire just comes back your suggestions are not in line with what i feel <laughs> <laughs> and we've talked about drivers second guessing the strategy and the weather which may, may be marginal, but brake balance plus one, not in line with what I feel. Totally cool with the driver saying, not what I feel, go away. <laughs> Just thought it was hilarious. I'll tell you something that came up in the
0: text chat I thought was worth talking about was the Red Bull livery, special for mm-hmm. Japan. I think Loved it to be the, the Japanese Grand Prix weekend, right? So they had the special one off white livery for the race. Personally, I was not a fan of it. I'm not a general fan of Red Bull liveries anyway, but this one was really not good.
3: Oh, Spencer, I
1: disagree. I loved it, And this is the old archaic thing. I mean, things stand out on white and it really, you know, that I I felt the Red Bull really did pop. It looked good. I heard though that Red Bull is planning on redoing the livery anyway. So stay tuned. There's a whole new branding coming.
3: And what I'll say is, and I sound like the professor here talking about history, I believe Japan's racing color, because every nation has a racing color, is white. Mm -hmm. And the first Honda F1 cars back in the 60s, when Honda came in as this weird Japanese company that makes motorcycles, they were doing white with a little bit of red lettering. And I think it was classic and a wonderful tribute on a weekend we should have been in Japan.
0: Can you tell us about other countries' race
3: colors? Uh, British Racing Green. That wonderful colour of very dark green approaching blue and or black, British. Scotland has a blue, a bright blue, which was made famous by the race team Ikiri Ecos. I believe Italy is red and that Germany got silver. And it's just developed historically. And I'm sure there's a list on Wikipedia of national racing colours.
2: I'm sure there is. I don't know. I mean, it's going to sound weird, but I think that had the race been in Japan, I'd appreciated that livery more. But it just looked out of place and unfinished to me at Turkey. And hell, it just kept confusing me too. Like, you know, Lewis would pass somebody, or like, he'd be in a fight with somebody, like, oh, why is he fighting? Oh, wait a minute, that's not who I think it is. Like, it just kept throwing me out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like it. Not a fan. But then again, like, I think it was bad timing that McLaren livery that looked amazing, but also got washed out in the sunshine. On a gray day like that, that we had in Turkey, that thing would have looked with
3: it flying through it. Yep, uh, I will report. Wikipedia does have a list of international honor racing colors with historical context. United States, the one that I didn't get to was white and blue with lengthwise stripes. That was the uh, Briggs Cunningham company. They ran that huh. way, or blue with uh, white stripes. But there's a full list there, and you can go see it. And it's all wonderfully historical, and has sadly gone away because we have to have sponsors now.
2: I gotta know—is France Aquamarine?
3: Let me see. France, blue, Le Bleu de France, used Le by de France. Delage, Bugatti, Talbot, Delahaye, Matra, Panhard, Alpine, Gordini, Peugeot, Ballot, and Ligier. Well, wow,
2: I guess, I mean, given our show is Canadian, you've got to say the obvious one. What's
3: ours? Traditional colors are British racing green with two white parallel stripes, four inches wide and six inches apart, which I think is a bloody smashing color.
0: Good. Yeah. yeah. That, that is pretty bad. I like that. that.
3: Wow. I like
2: that. <laughs> Yeah, nice. You know, the radio had some other fun moments. Crofty had a great one. I think he was qualifying, but I, I can't remember. Right? At some point he said something along the lines of like, now ah, 14 corners, the one too many for George Russell.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So Crofty and Button really had a good time this weekend. Jensen like,
3: Button was he, excellent. Really excellent. Good
2: time. Yeah, I really enjoyed Jetson this weekend. He was good. Come, I mean, it was pretty funny at the end too. He was like, a few more corners and I think that thing would have exploded. <laughs> pretty accurate. Description of a Pirelli.
3: Yeah.
2: Please, please sponsor us Continental.
3: And I think we have to wrap this up with our man Kimmy, who's got, I think, six more races, who said, Yeah, I have water in my fucking boots. Because again, the drinks <laughs> bottle wasn't working.
2: That whole exchange, oh man. That whole exchange went on for like three minutes. Kimmy just went on a rant.
1: Quietest guy on the grid. You'd never guess it
2: that's uh, so that's another week of uh, what you talking about? Well, let's check out the radio next week to see what happens. So let's talk penalty props and sewer sewer for so the know you guys can wait.
1: bring it on, Phil bring it on. It's the consistent <laughs> inconsistencies for fuck's sake, Excuse my language, but seriously, you've got. The stewards giving Gasly a five-second penalty for a first-corner incident when he was basically pinched between his teammate and the car that he ended up hitting. And then you've got Lewis Hamilton driving Sergio Perez into the pit lane, basically, and not getting a five-second penalty for aggressive driving on that one. I'm just baffled at where these calls are coming from. And it's obvious to me, anyway, it feels like it's a tinfoil hat moment of, you know, FIA and Formula One trying to ensure that Mercedes and, and Lewis Hamilton get their next world championship. There's my conspiracy theory.
2: Oh, my God. We just lost our F1 sponsorship. Phil just said the whole thing's rigged.
3: <laughs> rigged, I tell you.
1: Uh, we're not going to be invited to, to the pits anytime soon, gentlemen.
3: I mean, Chase Carey is basically the Vince McMahon of auto racing. So, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: but he's not there.
2: He He left. <laughs> you just joined flipping foosball because F1 won't let us talk about them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the cease and desist letters. Obviously, we know it's not the case, but I mean, it's just uh, <laughs> what are the stewards thinking? Can we back up on the gasly matter first, Phil? It was a first lap, first corner on a wet track. Yep. he had cars on both sides of them and you've gotten a free pass for that sort of stuff all year, unless it was bloody blatant like Valtteri Bottas at Hungary. You just see this and you're kind of clutching your head because Gasly didn't have anywhere to go. And yes, it ruined Alonso's race and ruined Gasly's race to a certain extent, but you don't go around getting victim impact statements for Formula One stewarding decisions. No.
0: Well, the victim impact statement is what he yells over the radio.
3: Yeah, that's basically it. And then Lewis shoving Sergio into the pit lane, I'm sure that was some sort of white line violation, not leaving enough racing room. and. Not even noted, because, of course, it's Lewis. No. And this is the kind of thing that would turn people off of Formula One, quite frankly, if it's uh, inconsistently applied. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Spencer, so you got anything for the sewer steward? Or any penalty props that you thought were right on? I got nothing. And that's hard cutting analysis from Andrew Spencer, folks. <laughs> All right. Well, it's done. Get in there, fellas. The checkered flag dropped on another race week. We've had a great time breaking it down. Hope you'll join us two weeks when we find ourselves in the space where Spence finally gets to sleep in and see a race at a midday point, which is wild.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about that.
2: Yeah, I can imagine you are, man.
3: I mean, I'm excited to have a race that fits my sleep schedule too. It's fantastic. I can wake up at noon and watch the bloody thing. This is true.
2: This is true. This is one of those things all of a sudden, like, God, I got to schedule the thing in now? Like literally schedule my day around the race? Yeah, no, I mean, back to Coda, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm super excited. So let's close out our week with the usual winner winch, where each of us will drop three things into the chat, something you enjoy, something you're perplexed by. Some downright irk you, or just something about the future of the sport. So, Phil, since you haven't gotten to start on bingo for three weeks, you get to go second again.
1: I will do bingo this time, I promise. (laughs) Although going first in these topics is far more interesting. Maybe I should leave it out all the time. Now, for me, I think the championship's going to go down to the the last race, which I am an absolute fan of. And hopefully it does consistently bounce back and forth, and we have... A tight championship all the way through. That's something I'm looking forward to for in terms of the sport itself. Overall, race impression for Turkey, you know, they're going to have to do something. If they want to go back there again, please fix the track. I mean, if we wanted to see Formula One on ice, we would suggest Montreal in February as probably a better way of demonstrating Pirelli tires. And then, really, from a driver and team perspective, yeah, I'd like the teams to come to grips a little bit with. Who's actually calling the shots. If we're saying pit, 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 and the drivers are refusing, that's fine. But then own the pain as it goes through. But I'm looking forward to Coda. I think it's going to be uh, a fantastic race. Looking forward to seeing who has the advantage there. I, I don't know where it's going to be. I'm hoping it's going to be Red Bull uh, continuing with that trend. Uh, and I'm hoping to see some more McLaren. I think that would be fantastic.
2: All right. Set.
1: Well, I would say my
0: driver observation, which I've brought up already today, is checo man like i'm I'm excited to see him in twenty twenty two He kind of reminded me what a guy he is behind the wheel there with uh, some of those exploits versus Hamilton thought he did really well. I think he'll be better next year as he's kind of settled into that team a bit more, although as we've talked about Atlanta, a new car, so, so nobody really knows one overall venue impression this track is supposed to come off the calendar next year. We're supposed to be back in Singapore. But I'll disagree with Phil a little bit. I wouldn't be terribly disappointed if we end up back here. It's not my least favorite crack on the calendar. And, you know, a race in Turkey is certainly better than no race at all. In terms of future of the sport thought, I'm starting to think that a max championship win is about as uncertain now as it has been since Portugal. It seemed like such a foregone conclusion for a lot of this year, but I'm not really sure anymore. I think we've talked about it, but this is really going to go right to the end. and. In terms of what we're going to see next week at circuit of the americas well boys it's going to be a gunfight in texas and i'm just not sure that red bull's guns are big enough maybe if they bring back the cowboy overalls they'll have some luck but i don't know this looks like a murk track to
2: me now put is whining some high high down for
3: us what do you think gareth my team observation and this plays into uh phil's comments with the championship. You know, Mercedes has taken a step from somewhere. And I think Andrew Shovlin's on record of saying, yeah, we did some things. And uh, Christian Horner's on record saying, well, we're effed, effectively. This could be kind of the tipping point in the championship in terms of Honda took their last step with their engine. Looks like Merck has maybe taken the last step with their engine. And there was a, I want to say, 20, 25 kilometer an hour deficit on the straights without DRS at Turkey so everybody's talking about red bull's deficit to mercedes and this could be the turning point for that championship it swings back to mercedes you know max has said he's going to be happy if they you know do their best every race which i think is a championship mentality but i don't know if the championship is slipping away from max and red bull in terms of a race venue impression we've talked about the track surface some people have said You know, it was designed by somebody, Herman Tilke, who designs boring tracks, blah, blah, blah. I like Turkey. I think it's got some fantastic high-speed corners, including Turn 8, that we all love to talk about. And it throws up some great races. If Pirelli can just make a tire that works there, I think (laughs) it would be fantastic to go back. I think it's kind of a cool, interesting venue. It throws up some great racing. And as Andrew said, a race in Turkey is better than no race at all. It's provisionally on the calendar for next year, which is bloody amazing. And then a uh, future of the sport thought, well, I'll tie this in with my Austin thought. Is Merck going to dominate? You've already said it. Austin is a Mercedes-Benz track. But we're doing this beautiful kind of Austin-Mexico-Brazil jump where Mexico's historically been a quote-unquote Red Bull track. My thought on that is if Sergio's winning at home, are they going to make him get out of the way for Max? Oh. That would be interesting to see. Oh, there's an
2: interesting permutation.
3: That And welcome to the ride in Mexico City. I will say that we were supposed to be in Austin last year. Something happened. We couldn't go. I've been to Austin, Dakota for an IndyCar race. And I would encourage anybody who is able to, to go. A beautiful track. Loved it. I was sitting in the Turn 1 grandstands where you can see the run up, the hill up to Turn 1. It's pretty fantastic. And then they go down through like 3, 4, 5, 6 complex. It's down a hill. It's kind of like the maggots Beckett's complex at Silverstone. You can see it all from that turn one grandstand. Just fantastic. And Austin is a ridiculously cool city that I loved. So, encourage everybody to go to Austin. Just not yet, because COVID's a thing. And that's America.
2: All right. Well, because I already complained about the Red Bull livery. But yeah, I want to, I think we're going to talk about McLaren. This was their opportunity this weekend, I think, to really say, hey, look, yeah, you know what? That was not a fluke. And we're here and it's on. And, I just don't know what the hell happened. Like, it just really wasn't there for them, which is, you know, interesting. And too bad. I really hope to see them show up at Kodak. I think it's going to be a really great thing. My um, thought on the venue, rain is cool and interesting, but I'd be interested to see what Turkey would be dry. So Phil, burn the damn skirt, Get him out of wet racing, but I kind of wanted to see some straight racing now. You know, I talked about the direction of radio and stuff like that. So, yeah, next week, I think we're going to see some... Back to fashion and celebrity sites, along with the usual distractions of the USGP. So I might have to hack one of your F1 TV accounts so I don't have to listen to the team. Uh, Though I say that, and then today they announced that Dedica Patrick's going to be part of the broadcast team, and I would not mind listening to Dedica Patrick for a while because she's fun and knows her stuff. But yeah, and so we'll see. We'll see what comes up next week, but it should be some great racing overall. So let's get in there, fellas. Now we drop the checkered flag on this race week. If you like what you heard, please throw us some stars, or even better, please follow us at at F1. Tweet us his link to the broadcast, or invite a friend to listen to you next week. We'll talk to you then. Slippin' F1 is edited by Eric W., who also, he struggles to hear this. He makes us all sound great and far funnier than we actually are. Say goodbye, boys.
3: Goodbye, boys. Yes, guys.
2: Good night.